Good morning. This morning we are continuing our time in Proverbs, and we are looking at wisdom versus folly. And I think that even as we took time two weeks ago to kind of talk through the introduction of this of the uh, sermon series, we were talking about, hey, we can't have this lead to moralism. We can't have this lead to a striving of our own self outside of what God has done to walk in wisdom, because true wisdom comes from a fear of the Lord and a walking in His ways. And so I want us to hold that in mind, even as we begin this morning, as we look at another uh, particular folly of sin, and don't think that even as the Holy Spirit works conviction and uh, a bringing to mind our own sin, don't think, man, I need to fix that. We do want to live differently. We want to live in a way that would honor and glorify God that is this way that He's given us that is a walking in righteousness and a fear of the Lord. But we also have to remember that He is the one who has worked that on our behalf. And so we respond by living that way because He has paid the debt that we owe for for this sin, for this particular sin, for all sin. And so as we look at the sin of gluttony this morning, and maybe you're like, gluttony, I don't even know what that word means. Well, good news, we're going to define some of that. But it's this overindulgence of the things that we have appetites for. What do we run to instead of running to God? And that's all of these follies, right? All of them are things that we would run to instead of God. And so our hope is that we would continue to run to God that we would continue to encourage each other to run to God for a satisfaction that He and He alone can give. Even as we sit with brothers and sisters in Christ that we would want to run to, we have to recognize that the church is not the ultimate end. Christ is the ultimate end. God has given us the church to do this together. But we can't even depend on each other for things that only Christ can give us. And so this morning, I just want us to remember that, keep that in mind as we walk through this proverb knowing that, that, yes, it should lead to a conviction that I long to walk in the way that Jesus has laid out for us, that God has laid out for us, but I can only do that because I am united in Christ, and He has walked it perfectly on my behalf. And so now as a, a witness to His glory and to His fame, I long to walk in these things too. Our proverb this morning is Proverbs 23. Verses 19 through 21. Proverbs 23, verses 19 through 21. So while you're finding that, just to recap, we began with running to wisdom instead of folly. And how when when we run to wisdom, while wisdom is personified in the Proverbs as, as lady wisdom, the reality is that any wisdom comes from God. And then last week we looked at what does that running to wisdom look like in light of Uh, the possibility of running to the folly of anger and wrath. And how that, that folly of running to anger and wrath actually stems from an unbelief in our hearts. A belief that either God is not there or that He's not good. And so when we truly believe that God is there and that He is good, we walk in a way of patience and kindness and all of the fruit of the Spirit, which is not taking our own uh, frustration 
and anger and wrath, but it's instead laying those down at Jesus' feet and saying, God, you are here, and you are good, and you are in control, and I'm going to trust that you're doing those things, and I'm going to have joy in the process. This morning in Proverbs 23, we look at what it looks like to be satisfied in God. Proverbs 23, 19 through 21, say this, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the grace of gathering together with the people of God under the word of God, inspired and empowered and uh, the indwelling spirit of God within us to be the church together. We thank you for those gifts. Lord, we know that those gifts come from you. And so we just, uh, we're grateful. We pray that this morning as we sit under your word, Lord, we've already declared that you are holy, that you are other than us. God, but we long to be image bearers, to be reflectors of your wisdom, to share your glory with a dying world that needs to see that a Savior has come. So Lord, we pray that you would do that this morning through the power of your word and through the power of your spirit. We pray that that would be uh, the prayer of your church throughout the nations this morning. Lord, that as as Uh, your gospel is preached, that we would hear it and it would change us, transform us, conform us to your image, Lord, and that there would be some that would hear it for the very first time, that they would hear the good news, God, and their hearts would be changed, and they would be satisfied like they've never been satisfied before. God, would you do that throughout Brevard County and throughout uh, Florida, throughout your nation, Lord, would you you do it in in your people? throughout all the nations of the world. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we first asked the question like we did last week, what is the sin? When we talk about gluttony, what is is the sin of gluttony? And then we're going to look at like the effects of that sin, and we see it in this proverb. And then we're going to ask the question, how do we fight for joy in the midst of that? What is the sin? The sin of gluttony is a consuming appetite. The sin of gluttony does not begin in the belly, but like all sin, it begins in the heart. We see that in verse 19. Right? The wise man is giving this proverb, this instruction, and how does he begin? He begins, hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Now he's going to go and he's going to talk about like, like the eating, and he's going to talk about the, the drunkenness, right? And all of those things that we would run to other than God to satisfy us. But he begins and he says, you have to look because this is talking about the heart. Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. This is one of the places in scripture where gluttony is linked to drunkenness. And often they will use both of those things. And what they're talking about is this appetite that we have that we would run to and we would try to indulge in for a myriad of reasons. Some of them is escape. Some of them is comfort. Right? We, we go to these things other than running to God who satisfies. 
Why does it link those two things? Well, because gluttony is more than just feeding your face. Although it is that. Like, there is a, a gluttony that happens when you overeat and when you consume food to try to satisfy an inner desire. But gluttony is trying to satisfy an appetite with something that won't satisfy. We all do this. We do it in a, a myriad of ways. One of them that I think of quickly is like binge watching. <laughs> we, we've all been there. We all have something that may, maybe pops up right away. But this idea of consuming, hoping that that story or this thing that I'm, I'm really wrapped up in is going to satisfy an inner desire that I have. As soon as we talk about this, though, we have to say, well, is all desire bad? No. Is all eating bad? No. Is all drinking bad? No. Like God, God has established since the very beginning, He's given us this appetite. What did He say in the garden? He talks to Adam and Eve. He gives them all of the fruit of the garden, and it's beautiful, and it's delicious, and He says, eat it all, except for that one thing. But everything else, like He didn't just make two trees. He made all of the other trees, and then he said, but this one you can't eat of. And so God's design in the very beginning was that we would take these appetites that he gave us and we would be satisfied with him because how did they eat in the garden? They ate with God. Like he would come in the cool of the evening. We know that because later on he comes in the cool of the evening and they're hiding. But we're given this idea that in relationship with God, Adam and Eve enjoyed the good things of God and all of it was beautiful. It was not sin. It was perfect. And so there is still a way to do that, to enjoy the appetites that God has given us in, his, in relationship with Him. Because that's not just where it began and then it stopped when sin happened. No, we have this image of what happens at the end. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation, when you look at what happens there, we're given the picture of God and His church Jesus and his bride, and it's this huge feast. It's the, the feast of the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's how God gives us, the, that's a picture that God gives us of what does it look like when God finally does everything and we are truly satisfied in him and sin is banished and crying and, and weeping are done. Like we're going to feast together with God in relationship with him. And so this idea of we've been given appetites and these appetites can be met with God and in God. Well, if that's the case, then what does gluttony look like? Proverbs 13.25 says, The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. Listen, gluttony is when we take the things that we have and we say, this isn't enough, I want more. And what we're going to see is that a lot of these, these follies, these sins, they cross over, right? They have some of the same heart desires. When we talk about greed next week, a lot of it is the same thing. I don't have enough. I want more. I need more. I won't be satisfied until I have more. And so as we talked last week about how we, we, track, we trace these things back, like what are we not believing? It's the same thing. We're, we're either believing that God's not there or that he's not good enough. Like he hasn't given us enough, and so I need to chase after more. 
I need to be able to consume more, and that's where I will be satisfied. It's not enough just to have God and His Word and His church and His Spirit. No, I need more. I need to be entertained. I need to consume. And so this appetite that, that is never satisfied, but a righteous, a righteous person, according to Proverbs 13.25, has enough to satisfy. But the belly of the wicked suffers want. It's this consuming. When you think of it, I love to read. I love to read fantasy and fiction. And so uh, when, whenever there's a, a, a bad guy, and I like to think dragons because I'm a nerd, but dragons are awesome. Dragons have so often have this, this appetite that can't be satisfied. And so they will ravage and they will be destructive because they just eat because that's what they were created to do. And they, they're never satisfied, but they continue to destroy things in their path. And while that's awesome in one way, it's also incredibly scary and destructive in another way. And so that's what this, this idea of, a, of an appetite that can't be satisfied looks like. It looks very destructive and it destroys all the things around it. And this sin is serious. We think, oh, gluttony, that's like overeating, that's like getting fat or whatever. And listen, we've we got to be careful with that because gluttony is any time that we are not satisfied, no, no matter who we are, no matter how old or how young or what we look like, when we're not satisfied with what God has given us, we become gluttonous. When we want more. And this sin is so serious that in Deuteronomy 21, God addresses it in His law. He says this, Deuteronomy 21, 18-21, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This, is our, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. That's not, that's not fun, right? And we think that gluttony, oh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Like if I could just rein this sin in, if I could just figure this out, if I could just practice some self-control, I'd be okay. But God is saying, no, that this lack of control that all people have, because all have sinned, all have chased after satisfaction outside of me, He declares that because of that, because of their rebellious ways, their stubbornness, their gluttony, their drunkenness, I will, they need to be stoned. They need to be killed. This persistent refusing to be satisfied in who God is means that there's a definite penalty and a definite consequence of the sin. The sin is serious. When we run to other things other than God, it's a serious offense. Because God has called us to be satisfied in Him. So what is the sin? The sin of gluttony is this running to things to satisfy us instead of running to God. What is the effect of this sin? Well, we see it in the passage, the void left by dissatisfaction. 
It's truly a consuming sin. As we look at 20 and 21, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Listen, it's not even talking necessarily about a monetary poverty. Right? But when we chase after this thing that, that will never satisfy us, it becomes destructive to us and those around us. We could probably all think of somebody who has been so trapped in something and they've chased after it looking for satisfaction and all it's done is bring hurt and destruction and brokenness to them and those around us. I know in my life I have this tendency to want to consume and it's food, yes. Drink, yes. It's also uh, any kind of collection that I can get. Randy hates it. So does God, but, you know, I think that in those things, I'm looking for a satisfaction of having these things that I'm not going to be able to get satisfaction from. And so I'm running to these things when I need to be satisfied in who God is. There's a void left by this dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes, another one of the books of wisdom, Ecclesiastes 6, 7, this wise man is giving instruction. He says, all the toil of man is for his mouth yet his appetite is not satisfied. So much of what we do, whether it's our labor or whether it's our free time, is trying to gain enough to, con- to meet a, a consuming that we're trying to do. We want to be satisfied. And very little of it is resting in what God has already purchased for us. So often I will attempt to uh, wind down rather than uh, resting and, and reading and remembering and focusing on who I am in Christ, I will try to wind down with just some peace and quiet or maybe watching uh, one of my gaming videos or watching a baseball game, looking to, hey, just kind of relax. But that never leads to relaxation because there's always something else that's going on, something else that's, that's messing with my soul, <laughs> And what I really need to be satisfied is to know what Jesus has done on my behalf and who I am in Christ. And I need to rest there because then then there's no more striving and there's no more doing. I can just rest in what Christ has done. There's a void left by this dissatisfaction. And what we're left with is poverty. Poverty meaning a lack a sense of want, a dissatisfied soul. It's not a monetary lack. It's a spiritual lack. But I have good news for us today. Like, even as we've thought about all these things, and we're like, man, I do that. I run to these other things instead of running to Jesus. I run to these other things instead of resting in who God has called me to be and walking in the way of righteousness. Well, the good news this morning is that Jesus says, come to me all you that are lacking, all you that are poor in spirit. Right? If you're lacking in your soul, Jesus has cried out and he's invited us to come to him. And so we come to him to receive a satisfied soul this morning. God's design was that our appetite would be filled in Him. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. 
That's where we want to be. That's our hope. That's where we look for the peace of God, the shalom that He's offered. The rest is in being satisfied in Him. Psalm 107.9, For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. See, God hasn't said, no, you can't have those things that you think would satisfy. He says, no, you can have something better. You can have me. And in having me, you can have these other things too, but you won't look to them for satisfaction. They will just be the good things that I've given, and you will have me, the good giver. And so that's God's promise to us. Jeremiah 31, 14 says, I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Listen, in light of who God is, when we know His character and we, we run to Him for satisfaction, now He gives us all these other things and we can enjoy them in relationship to Him just like Adam and Eve in the garden. I can enjoy my wife in our relationship instead of looking to her to satisfy me in something that she's not going to be able to do, I can look to God and He can give me back my wife in the sweet, good thing and I can just enjoy it. He can give me my kids that I've turned into idols and tried to, tried to chase them and worship them. He can give me them back because now I'm being satisfied in who God is and I can truly enjoy them instead of looking to them for a satisfaction that they're not going to give me. We can do that with, with food. We can do that with drink. We can do that in, with relationships. And all of the good things that God has given us now become this beautiful blessing. The beauty of it is that even as we think about like, man, if that's what gluttony is, then I am, I'm gluttonous. Like I, I've sinned, that's my sin. I've ran to other things to be satisfied and tried to consume my way out of this emptiness. But Jesus was marked the same way. We think about the Pharisees and in our time in Mark, we've seen the Pharisees come and condemn Jesus for eating with sinners and tax collectors. And in Matthew eleven sixteen through 19, they're doing the same thing. But to what shall I, this is Jesus marking on them, but what, to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Listen, they wrongly accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard. They wrongly accused him of looking for satisfaction in food and relationships and drink that he was already satisfied fully in the Father by. He had a satisfaction, but he was wrongly condemned. Listen, the seriousness of the sin is important to understand, but we also need to understand that as serious as the sin is, that's how serious the Savior took our salvation. Deuteronomy back right where we were reading, that said, hey, if, the, if a son is brought and he's gluttonous and he's a drunkard, he needs to be stoned right after that. Verses 22 and 23 of Deuteronomy 21, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. 
As soon as the punishment is there, there's also the promise because what do we have in our place? We have a man hanged on a tree. We have a a, a Jesus who is crucified on a cross for us and He bore the sin and the shame that we actually committed But He bore the punishment for us on the cross. He was cursed by God. He was rejected. He was separated from His Father on the cross so that we could be connected and in right relationship and reconciled and redeemed. That's the beauty of what Jesus has done. So even as we take this and we're like, man, that's a lot. It is a lot, but we have a great Savior who has paid the cost for it. He's paid the price for it. He has been cursed for our sake. Jesus, the righteous one, became cursed for gluttons like us. 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9 says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Listen, as we read Proverbs 23, 19 through 21, and we see that the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty... The slumber and slumber will clothe them with rags. Like Jesus bore our poverty. He became poor for us to reconcile us to a holy God. This is the good news of the gospel. Yes, all of the law is true. Yes, it points us to the way that we should walk. And yet, none of us have walked that way. But we have a Savior who walked it perfectly. And now invites us not to, not to earn our salvation, but out of gratitude for the great salvation we have in this Savior, to walk in His way. To give glory to God. That if any, if any of us would reflect what does it look like to live a self-controlled, a wise, a selfless life that looks to satisfaction in Jesus, it's because of the work that Jesus has done. And so when others see that, and see us chasing Jesus rather than all of these other things that they might be chasing, they can say, why would you do that? And we can say, because I had this great Savior who has actually stood in my place. And so now I don't have to chase these other things because I have Jesus. And you too could have Jesus. And this becomes what we're called to by this passage. Listen, our world is consuming our world is a cons- our culture is a consuming culture. It's an immediate consumption. Also, we want it, we want everything we want, and we want it as fast as we want it. And so, there's this idea that hey, we are all consumers, but God is calling us to be contributors, right? To move from this place of consumption to this place of contribution. And so, out of Christ and His great love for us that He would take the debt that we owed and He would pay it, we then are called to walk in a different way. To walk in a way of righteousness that doesn't look like running to these other things for a satisfaction that we're not going to find, but it actually looks like running to Jesus and then calling others to do the same. We have these gospel rhythms that kind of define all of the things that we do and hopefully all of life. And So the first gospel rhythm is celebrate. We want to celebrate the story of God. It's a great story. And then in that story, we find a connection. And that's the second gospel rhythm, that that our story is connected to God's story. And then as, as that connection takes place, we find ourselves in a community, the third gospel rhythm, a community of sinners gathered at the foot of the cross. Gluttons, 
drunkards, angry, right? Envious people, greedy people, all of us. But we have this great Savior, and so we point continually to the cross. And then the fourth rhythm is contribution. Out of what Christ has done, we no longer have to be consumers, but we get to be contributors to the telling of the story. We do it with our lives. We do it by having a changed mind and a changed heart and that the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God that fills us, now causes us to walk in a different way. Walk in a way that is patient, that is satisfied, that is at peace, both inwardly and outwardly. Resting in what Christ has done and not having to look to these other things to satisfy us. From the partnership manual, it says this, In response to the gospel, we will leverage our time, talent, and treasure to further the mission of God for the glory of God. At Crosspoint, we are calling all of our partners to a life of contribution. This fleshes itself out in three distinct yet overlapping areas of our lives, time, talent, and treasure. To steward something is to realize that it's not ours, but has been given by God to use for the benefit of others. As the gospel works in us, we get the opportunity to have the gospel work through us and to experience the joy that comes from a lifestyle of contribution. Man, that's beautiful. That's what we're praying that God would do in our lives. And as the gospel works in us, it would also work through us so that others would taste and see that God's good. Listen, there's a reason that the Bible uses taste and see. Listen, that's, that's how we consume things. That's how we experience them. We taste them and we see them. So this is part of what God is calling us to. But we do it in light of a known relationship with Him. And so then we can go and we can eat fine foods and we can drink good things and we can have these great gifts because we know that these gifts are not what satisfies. But the giver does. So we don't have to run to these other things because we have this God who gives and gives abundantly. Paul leaves us with this. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Listen, that's what we need today. We need to have a changed heart, a changed spirit, a changed desire that we would not seek to consume and be satisfied, but we would rest in the one who has satisfied us And whatever we do, we would do it for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you that you are gracious and kind. God, you are slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. God, and you give good things to your people. But the greatest thing that you've given is yourself, Lord. And so we have right relationship with you today because you gave your son in our place. Lord, would you help us to live out of that reality? Would you help us to think out of that reality? Would you help us to feel and have emotions out of that reality that we are deeply and dearly loved by the Savior? Can we be satisfied with that today? Lord, it takes the work of your Spirit in us. So Lord, we would ask that you would do it, not for our sake, but for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.